Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Are you a good tipper? Are you a good tipper only if the person you're tipping earns it? There's some science to tipping from the customer's perspective, but it's a gray area in a lot of circumstances. There are entire online forums filled with questions and advice about who to tip and how much. And how did the custom of tipping start? Today, we'll get the views of the employers and employees in the tipping scene, and we'll take your calls about how you approach tipping. That's all right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The 160th anniversary of the Bear River Massacre was recently marked with an event at the site of the attack in Idaho. The Northwestern Band of the Shoshone Nation plans to build a cultural interpretive center at the site. Amy Van Tatenhove reports. Over 150 years ago, the United States Army attacked and killed as many as 500 Shoshone men, women, and children in northern Cache Valley, Idaho. The attack resulted in one of the largest slaughters of Native Americans in U.S. history. The site of the attack along the Bear River, or Wuda Ogwa, had been used for hundreds of years as a place for trade, cultural exchange, and socialization by the Shoshone Nation. Darren Perry, former chairman of the Northwestern Band of the Shoshone Nation, spoke at an event honoring the victims of the attack. He shared that the site has remained a priority for the Shoshone, despite the tragedy that unfolded at the hands of the U.S. Army. When something terrible happens, at a place where human lives are lost. That place always seems to take on a new meaning. The 14.6 acres of the World Trade Centers, the beaches of Normandy, a homemade memorial at the site of the road where a fatal traffic accident occurred. In partnership with local universities and ecological consultants, the Shoshone Nation has ambitious plans to honor victims of the massacre and to share Shoshone culture with an interpretive center. Brian Andrews, an environmental engineer on the project, says the partnership is hoping to encourage outdoor recreation and appreciation of the site with a system of walking trails, a waterway for canoes and paddle boards, and interpretive signage throughout. When you come here, when it's ultimately done, we'll have trees and uh, things along that cornfield. What we'd like you to do is to go back in time. For National Native News, I'm Amy Van Tatenhove. On Tuesday, tribal leaders gathered at the Capitol in Salt Lake City to advocate for the protection of the Federal Indian Child Welfare Act to keep Native children with Native families at the state level in Utah. Representatives from some of Utah's eight tribal nations encouraged state lawmakers to support House Bill 40 to codify ICWA. During a press conference, Navajo Nation Council Delegate Eugenia Charles Newton expressed her appreciation for the bill, saying as an elected official, it's rare to see a state want to work with the Native Americans to protect the family unit. To see a state and our tribe work hand in hand to preserve the right for our Utah citizens to know who they are, where they come from, and to have a connection to their people. I am aware that the Navajo Nation worked with the state of Utah to draft, review, and discuss the Utah ICWA House Bill 40 to ensure the best interests of the state of Utah, the Navajo Nation, Navajo children, and families are honored and recognized. A House committee recently voted to hold the bill from advancing to the floor. Representative Christine Watkins is the bill's sponsor. We ran into a little bit of a hiccup and we have lots of people trying to uh, educate committee members so that they 
will all uh, support this. The bill in Utah is being considered as the Indian Child Welfare Act is being challenged in the U.S. Supreme Court. The Associated Press reports former Dances with Wolves actor Nathan Chasing Horse has been arrested in Las Vegas, Nevada in an alleged sex abuse case. He's accused of sexual assault and human trafficking. Police say he used his position as a so-called medicine person to abuse young Native girls. Chasing Horse allegedly committed offenses in multiple states and Canada. No attorney was listed for him as of Tuesday for comment. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. A historical master trauma class taught by Dr. Ruby Gibson and staff provides tuition-free online training to tribal members who are therapists, counselors, social workers, and traditional healers. Enrollment deadline is March 24, 2023 at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Many of us are inclined to tip a restaurant server after a good meal, an Uber driver who saves us the hassle of driving to the airport, or a blackjack dealer who delivers a winning hand. It became common practice for some customers during the COVID-19 pandemic to tip more generously to help service workers who were severely affected by the shutdowns. Recent consumer surveys show tips are still somewhat higher in general, but inflation is definitely curbing that trend. What constitutes an adequate tip remains a constant source of discussion, and who deserves a tip is another question. Today, we'll talk with some Native employees and business owners for their perspectives on what it's like working for tips and what it means for their bottom line. We invite you to join the conversation. Why is it important to tip? Who do you usually tip and how much? Are there any situations in which you feel don't, or excuse me, in which you don't feel obligated to leave a tip? Share your thoughts at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us now from Rapid City, South Dakota, is Chef Kimberly Tilson Braveheart. She is the owner and executive chef of the catering company Chef Braveheart. She is Oglala Lakota. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. Well, Kim, start us off and, and tell us, how do tips work at Chef Braveheart? Sure. So um, before, um, just as standard, I would always, you know, I would no, be no expectation, obviously, of gratuity. Um, as the as COVID and everything else came into play, I realized that people just were not tipping, and I pride myself on the service that um, that I that I provide, as well as the quality of my food and everything. And so I started to implement a twenty percent. Um, gratuity for every order and at first I was really nervous about doing that like it was like a mandatory thing 
like who does she think she is <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> but I, but I realized when I did it, I don't think the customers understood that they were supposed to tip a caterer or chef. And then after that, people actually started tipping more and I would always refer back to it. Oh no, no. I just want you to know that we already have a minimum 20% included. And they're like, Oh no, we're, we're happy to tip more. And it was a weird shift and I'm not quite sure what that's all about. If it's, just not knowing that you should tip or the psych, this like psychology of it, if that makes sense. So um, since we've done that, I've only had one person ever that has pushed back and been like, how do I know you're worth it? And um, I said, well, if you don't think that I'm worth it, most of my customers who come to me do, and maybe you're just not the right customer for me. And that was basically the end of the conversation. So I think, you know, so I think that part of it is um, knowing your worth uh, and recognizing for me, like I definitely, I, I, I actually pass on the tips um, all hundred percent of my gratuity. I pass on to my staff that's serving that day. I don't keep any of it for myself uh, as just a benefit for them because they're actually working the event. I'm just cooking the food for the event. Well, you mentioned catering. It's one of those um, occupations that kind of falls in that gray area, right? Where people aren't really quite sure if they should tip or they shouldn't. And it's interesting that you didn't really get any pushback. Now, did you have to raise prices though at all because you were, you know, charging that additional amount or was it just a, a 20% on top of what they were already paying on their bill? Um, I did, I did have to increase prices in general across the board because just cost of goods have increased. And so I um, increased prices overall about 20% and then also an additional 20% uh, gratuity. And um, I really didn't get any pushback. I think that people are starting to recognize when you get quality service and quality food and it, and I do like beautiful catering displays and make it really special that it's worth the value of that. I'm not sure exactly, but um, you know, it is challenging because I was initially was like, I'm just going to increase prices and include the gratuity if that makes sense and not, and just tip out my staff that way. But when people wanted to know that, I, I realized with my customers, they wanted to know like the line items on their invoices. So they wanted to know that there was a 20% gratuity service um, fee attached to that, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. And now that we're, we're getting through the pandemic, is this policy, this service charge, is that here to stay? It's here to stay for sure. And your employees, I mean, because you, you mentioned that a lot of folks still tip even beyond that 20%. And that extra amount that's that's optional, right, that people just can tip if they want extra, is it stable and consistent enough that your employees can can pretty much predict about how much money they're going to bring in every, every week or every month so they can pay their bills and, and handle all their budgets and everything? For sure. I mean, I think that, you know, it's a little more challenging because I'm an event-based business. I do have a private dining room, but that even is an event, considered an event. And so my, my employees are paid per event because I'm not booked every single day um, because I have other compartments of my business as well as another business. Uh, I think that most of the time, especially for large events, they 
definitely know what they're getting and they're excited to work and they know that they're going to be tipped well. And so they provide exceptional service um, in knowing that. And I really don't, I don't think I've had any events in the last year that did not tip above the 20%. Um, and that was not like us requesting it or asking for it or anything like that. Uh, and I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not sure why that is. Uh, I appreciate people's generosity and definitely my employees do as well. Now, Kim, you consult with other businesses there in the state of South Dakota. And what are other restaurant owners telling you? Are they trying similar things? Yes, very similar. Most, a lot of us are doing the same thing. I know that there are some um, restaurants that have said, you know, your your um, bill includes an 18% uh, gratuity, no additional fee is required. Most people still tip. Um, and I know this for sure, as long as there is a line to tip. I know that sounds, again, kind of bizarre, but people want to, people want to be taught if they are supposed to tip or not. And um, so that's why, you know, some places say tips are appreciated, but not required, uh, you know, and such like that. But I would say a lot of, a lot of um, business, food businesses, especially catering businesses, are going to a minimum of either 18 or 20% gratuity. Well, I, I know it, it's changing a lot because with a lot of these like mobile apps that businesses use or these, you know, they'll use like a tablet for you to pay your bill and, and it's getting kind of harder not to tip because now you almost have to like opt out of it. Like it asks you, you know, do you want to tip 15% or 20% or, or a custom amount? It, it makes it a little bit more challenging, but sometimes for me as a consumer, it kind of turns me off a little bit because I feel like I'm kind of being nudged into tipping. Do you, do you experience that all with any of these other restaurants in terms of just how they actually present the, the option to tip to a, a customer? I would actually like to say it from a, a different perspective. I think that people need to recognize that when you go out to eat and or use a, ser a catering service or a delivery service for food, that someone is intentionally preparing your food to your you know, specifications and providing a service. And I think that honoring that is just a part of doing that. And if you don't want to pay gratuity, honestly, I don't think that you should be going out. <laughs> and I know that sounds kind of harsh, but I feel like if you want, if you feel like you could do better in your budget within the ramifications of your, whatever your budget needs are, I think that you should stay home and prepare your food perfectly fine. I think part of the issue that has come up is that service, service, the service industry in general, we are not treated that well by our, our customers. Um, even when we have a high level of success and all of those things, because there is a, a, a theory of like that because you are paying us, you are allowed to treat us however you want. And I think that it's great that, everyone in general is saying, hey, you know, we are providing this service to you. And I think it's respectful um, for you to value our service and what we're providing back to you with a little bit of a gratuity. So Kim, what I'm hearing from you is that as a customer, if I go into a restaurant, uh, I'm paying for the food, but I'm tipping for the service. For sure, but you're also supporting the entire thing. And I think that sometimes as consumers, 
you don't realize like it costs money to run a facility. It costs money for a commercial kitchen. It costs licensing fees. It costs business insurance. It costs all of these other things that are contributed to the cost of your food. Where someone, I've heard people say it all the time. Oh, you know, I can make myself a cheeseburger for $4. Then I'm like, you should totally do that. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but, but just to play devil's advocate, yeah. though, Kim, but, but what about people that say, but look, I, I'm paying for the food. I mean, all these other costs, the overhead you mentioned, I mean, customers, I mean, many people feel, well, look, that's, that's why I'm paying you for the meal. I'm not getting it for free, right? The tip is something extra. It, it is something extra. And I do. Like I tip everywhere I go. I tip a minimum of 20%, whether the server deserves it, quote unquote, deserves it or not, because I know what it's like to need that money to survive. And our our restaurants, we need y'all's support fully to understand that like we all have been working for something for a very long period of time and it's not we, we're not going to kill ourselves anymore to provide you food. And so, you know, we're giving you like the night off of your cooking or whatever. And so I think that it's only, you know, respected um, to provide that value back to us. Fair enough. Fair enough. We're talking with Chef Kimberly Tilson Braveheart, and she's giving us her perspective on how tipping works in her catering business. Anyone with a question or a comment, if you work for tips or you just Go out to restaurants and you're a big tipper or you're a medium, medium tipper. We'd love to hear from you, your perspectives on this topic. The number 1-800-996-2848. A new slate of films by Native producers and about Native issues just had a run at the annual Sundance Film Festival. There are light-hearted fictional features... I don't know if that's really true, and hard-hitting documentaries, adding to the growing list of notable work in the festival's indigenous offerings. We'll highlight some on the next Native America Calling. La Colzania or Tilio, Nish Medicaid or T to Ktil Yatiki Oshak Yakayo. Lewot Haniki, Medicare and Medicaid or Tiatahu Yapalo. Ho, Hesatuelo. Whether you're a new listener or a loyal follower, thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Tips and gratuities are our focus today. If you're someone who works for tips, we'd love to hear about the perks and challenges. What's the best tip you've ever received? What's the worst tip? Do you provide better service when you know a customer is a big tipper? Tell the truth at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Some of you might know our next guest simply as Lynette from Anchorage. She's a regular caller to NAC, but today she's one of our guests. Speaking with us now from Hemet, California, where she is visiting family, is Lynette Marino-Hins. She is a taxi driver, and she is Tlingit. Lynette, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Sean. 
Good morning to you as well, Lynette. And um, tell us, I mean, most cab drivers, they charge a base fare with tips, of course, being optional. Are those base fares enough to live on or are you dependent on an extra income from tips? Well, it really does help when you get a good tip. And it's called a flag drop. That's when you first get in the cab and then we charge per mile and for the time. So it's synchronized in our meter. And I have been doing this for over 40 years in Anchorage, Alaska. 40 years, four decades in driving cab. I'll bet you've got some wild stories to tell us for sure, Lynette. But I mean, earlier we heard from from Kimberly talk about how, you know, tips were really impacted during the pandemic. And uh, what was it like for you driving cab during that time? Did you did you get lower tips? Oh, definitely. The tips were very helpful, but I did notice that there was just a slight decrease. Um, I did get a tip, but it wasn't the normal tip. And usually I get tips about 80% of the time, mainly because I put my customers at ease as soon as they get in. Um, Within the first minute or two, I usually tell them that I've been driving the cab a long time. And the pandemic, I did notice that, of course, we were wearing masks, all of us, because it was mandatory. But I also did notice that the gasoline start going up in Anchorage, Alaska. And when that happened, it got to almost $5 a gallon. But we did not increase our meter, our meter rates. We kept it at the same price. All of us cab drivers felt that since other things were going up, including gas, that we could not do that to our customers. $5 a gallon, I guess. And how were tips during that time? Did, did people tip a little bit more to, to offset those higher gas prices you folks were dealing with? I think that if I had 10 trips that day, then maybe two people would, would give a little more than they normally did realizing that the gas prices were so high. And we had gas prices raise, oh, about 18 years ago in Anchorage, Alaska. And during that time, we we had also went up to about $5 a gallon. But 18 years ago, it was pretty bad. It was during a slow, slow part of our, our cab season. And from January to about May, it's very slow for us. Not until the tourists come in. Our population is over 250,000 to about 275,000 in Anchorage, Alaska. Um, and during that time, I was pushing the cab at the airport. I would put it in neutral, and then I would push the cab. But that uh, I haven't done that during the pandemic. Is that just to save on gas? You just leave it in neutral yes, and push it? Yes, save on <laughs> gas. <laughs> okay. And they, All right. they took a picture of me and put it in the newspaper. <laughs> okay. Lynette, I have a, a question for you. What's the best tip you've ever gotten? The best tip I've ever gotten, I had to take a woman from Anchorage, Alaska, out to Eagle River. This was years ago. And she was in a desperate situation. Um, she was in a hotel room, but her boyfriend and her were fighting and he was being too mean to her. So she had to leave. And so 
her home was in Eagle River, which was 24 miles away from Anchorage, Alaska. And she didn't have the money on her. So I trusted her. I responded to the call and beat out an, uh, another old-time driver and took her home. And then she gave me a tip. The fare is was normally back then about 48 to $50. And she gave me a tip of of uh, over $300, she gave me a total of $366. Wow. Wow. $366. And, and I really applaud you, Lynette, for, for taking care of that customer like that and just uh, having faith, even if she didn't have any money on her at the time. How about this one, Lynette? Because, um, you know, if someone does, you know, doesn't give you a tip, they stiff you, because I, I know that does happen. Would you rather they give you an excuse like, hey, you know, sorry, I'm a little short. I'll get you next time. Or would you just rather they keep their mouth shut and, and go on their way? Oh, no, I do appreciate it, especially when they first get in. If they say, okay, I don't think I have enough to cover it, but I have this amount, you know. And um, in our business, taxi cab driving, cash is king. Because the paper charges, I know that a lot of people have to pay with, you know, with uh, debit credit cards, but it takes a while for our cab company to process them. So the driver or the owner has to wait, and it it's kind of, uh, you know, it kind of um, delays us. But um, with our regular charges, you know, our Medicaid and our um, other accounts, that that's okay. So when I explain to the passengers that I prefer cash, then they're they're pretty cool with it. But I have what happens typically in Anchorage, Alaska, is that there is a bunch of people that will get in the cab and they'll run off. They'll defraud us and not pay. They'll say, oh, the money is inside, you know, like their mm. apartment or house or whatever. And I have sometimes kids that get in, they're 16, you know, they're 20, and they dash. They just go quick, out the door, scram, they're gone. Oh, geez. That's really unfortunate to hear about those customers as well. Let's go ahead and take a call. We have uh, Shana listening on KUNM in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Shania. Shania on KUNM. Shania, hello. Hi. Hi, Shania. I understand you're a waitress. I was. I was a waitress for maybe a decade, but my husband's been waiting tables for several decades, and so we are familiar with the business. And uh, how does tipping uh, work for your husband or your experience in, in tipping? I turned on the radio a little late, but I did hear the woman from the catering business say that it was um, like it's a nice extra, but in, for us, tipping wasn't extra. It was our entire income. The restaurant pays a wage that's high enough to pay um, your taxes that go from that restaurant. So when we would receive a paycheck from the restaurant, it was usually zero or it was close to zero. So the tip is the entire income of waiters and waitresses. And I think most people know that, but there's nothing extra about it. It is, it is that person's income. 
Okay. And thank you for clarifying that, Shania, because I know the federal minimum wage for tipped workers is $2.13. Uh, and, and I'm not sure if that's what applies there in Albuquerque, but uh, yeah, obviously in that situation, folks need tips. Absolutely. Thanks for that call, Shania. Uh, let's go back to Lynette. And Lynette, um, thinking more, you know, you mentioned, you know, the different types of uh, customers you have uh, in your cab for the rides. And and you mentioned that cash is king. Uh, and I'm also curious, do you ever get tips uh, in, in other forms, like maybe gift cards or just other unique ways to, to show appreciation for your service? Um, yes, I do. Sometimes people will actually give me food. I'm Alaska Native. I'm Quinket, originally from Sitka, Alaska. And so other Natives that get in the cab, they will give me, like, um, some of their smoked salmon, um, you know, stuff like that. But it's not that often. It's every once in a while. And that's very, very, um, very nice of them to do that. I appreciate it. And other people, when they go through, like, a McDonald's line, sometimes they'll say, oh, would you like something? And they'll buy you something, you know, to eat. And that's really, really special. Christmas time, they're very, very generous. I will get like $40 tips from my customers. And I have personals that I give out the number to somebody that wants to only call me for a cab, you know, for cab service. But I'm from the old school of cab driving. And that means that customer service is first that you get out and you help your passengers with whatever groceries they have, whatever luggage they have. And if you have little kids, that you're very, very patient with them. And so we do school trips. Our cab company does school trips. And we go and we take the kids to school. We have to um, make sure that they get in the door. And then when we go to get them from school, we have to go inside, show our ID, and then we have to take them home. And with tipping, I think that if some people don't have the tip, that's okay. You know, that's that's fine. It's just that a lot of a lot of the cab drivers, um, if there's a bad cab driver that doesn't do service, then I don't blame the customer one bit. Okay. Well, that's Lynette, uh, cab driver up in Anchorage, Alaska, providing her perspectives. Any other callers? Uh, we're waiting for your comments. 1-800-996-2848. If you work for tips, if you're a service worker, we'd love to hear from you again. 1-800-996-2848. Joining us now from Farmington, New Mexico is Catalina Kellywood. She is a housekeeper and she is Diné. Catalina, welcome to Native America Calling. Hi. Hi, Catalina. It's great to have you on the show. And Catalina, like we were mentioning earlier with uh, Chef Kimberly Tilson Braveheart, uh, some jobs kind of fall into this gray area. And I, I think for many people, your job kind of falls into that gray area, you know, where people aren't really sure if they should tip, if they shouldn't tip. So please help us out, clear the matter up. Are people expected to tip housekeepers when staying at a hotel? I 
Okay. Catalina, are you on are you on speakerphone or something like that? I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and let my producers kind of fix your lineup because we're having a little bit of trouble hearing you. So please be patient, though, Catalina. We'll be right back to you. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and bring our next guest into the conversation now. Joining us from Durham, North Carolina, is Professor Courtney Lewis. She's an associate professor in cultural anthropology at Duke University and author of Sovereign Entrepreneurs. She's a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Courtney, welcome to the show. What? Oh, thank you so much for having me here, Sean. You bet, Courtney. You know, you know this whole discussion. It, it's it's interesting. It's also a lot of fun, uh, and it, it's really important as well because we have so many people in our communities who uh, are service workers. And tell us more the practice of tipping people for a task or a service. What's the history behind it? When did it start? So tipping has a long international history, but structurally, the system of tipping as we practice it today in the United States is really founded on the intentional efforts of the hospitality industry to not pay workers who are formerly enslaved. So we see the system of tipping that we use today really coming into play around 1867, um, and it's designed to entrench poverty. So right now we have this kind of ludicrously low $2.13 an hour um, wage that employers are legally allowed to pay tipped workers, which has not changed in three decades, uh, which is a testament to this kind of entrenchment of poverty. Uh, so tipped workers today continue to experience twice the poverty rate as non-tipped workers across the country. Um, and this is on top of issues such as wage theft. And of course, uh, these are also largely women and women of color in these positions. And they will also receive less tips compared to other workers. Uh, and I really think the issues that, that your caller, uh, Shania and Kimberly and Lynette have mentioned already really speak to this. Tips are their livelihood in our current system. Interesting. So good dates back all the way to the 1800s and in, in, in this history of tipping and uh, we're going to talk more with, with Courtney and learn a little bit more about the history of tipping, but I do want to bring Catalina back in. Catalina, can you hear me now? Catalina? Okay. Uh, let's go. Yeah, Caddy, are you there? Yeah. Okay. So, Caddy, earlier I, I asked, I mean, should people be tipping housekeepers when staying at a hotel? Is that appropriate? Um, I think so, because the room are like um some of the rooms are like really dirty especially when they party and they just like leave it all trashy and they don't leave any tips <laughs> when they party and leave it all trashy what's a fair tip for a housekeeper caddy um usually they uh put like the highest is the 20 and the lowest i got was like change or a dollar now, if a person stays in a hotel, should the tip vary depending on how long they stay? Like, you know, if they stay five nights, should they tip more than if they only stay one or two nights? What's your thought on that? Um, I think they should, like, like probably, like, $5 if it's, like, less or if they, um, or if they stay longer and they're, like, their rooms are, like, still clean, they live, like, they leave at 
$20, they stay a little bit longer to keep the room in, in pretty good shape. And, and Catalina, how, how much, you know, how dependent are you on your tips uh, in addition to the, the base wage that you earn there at the hotel? Looks like we're having a little bit of trouble with Catalina. We are going to have to take a short break here in just a moment. So would sure love to hear from some more callers. In fact, we've got one on the line right now. Uh, we're going to hear from Stella, who's calling in from Cuba, New Mexico, after we come back from this break. Anybody else that has a question or a comment for the show? Uh, if you're interested in learning more about what types of employees you should tip, who you shouldn't tip, should you tip a housekeeper, uh, a catering employee, uh, an Uber driver, or maybe a casino uh, host or somebody like that. Uh, we've got folks on the line today who can answer those questions for you. 1-800-996-2848. That number again, 1-800-996-2848. Tips and gratuities. That's the focus of our show today here on Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This Valentine's Day, you can give all your sweethearts truly unique gifts from SweetgrassTradingCo.com, a Ho-Chunk Inc. company where you can choose from a variety of food, beauty, and wellness items from tribes across Turtle Island. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Support by the American Indian College Fund, providing millions of dollars of scholarships to Native students every year. Applications are accepted through May 31st at collegefund.org or by phone at 800-766-FUND. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Service workers make up a significant portion of the workforce, and they rely on you to determine how much money they take home every month. Do you think it's fair for consumers to shoulder that responsibility? How about if restaurants just charge a little more so customers wouldn't have to tip? Tap 1-800-996-2848 on that touchscreen keypad to share your thoughts. Once again, that's 1-800-996-2848. Let's go to the phones right now. We have Stella listening in Cuba, New Mexico on KUNM. Stella, hello. Hello. My name's Sarah, by the way. Um, I, what I wanted to say was I was raised in a small restaurant where over the years I did all the jobs. My folks owned the restaurant. Um, and so I have great sympathy for service workers. And I tip well when service is good. And I tip moderately when it's not. And if service is really bad, I won't tip at all. But the point is you don't tip owners and principals. You tip workers. And if someone feels that they're as the catering person, and I don't know about catering, but feels that, that they have to impose a 20% mandatory uh, tipping charge, then what they ought to do, in my opinion, is raise their prices and not disguise the price raise as something going to workers, which it may or may not go to them. Um, I, if I go to a restaurant and there's a mandatory tipping fee, I won't go back because tipping is uh, is something for workers, and it has to do with appreciating the service, my opinion only. Well, Sarah, thank you for that call. And I think uh, your sentiments echo a lot of other folks as well with regard to tipping being an option and being something reserved for, for good quality service. Appreciate that call. 
Again, that's Sarah listening on KUNM in Cuba, New Mexico. Let's go back to Catalina now. And, and Catalina, I do have one more question for you. And, you know, we're talking a lot about about tips and, and wages. And how would you feel if um, people didn't tip you, but your your job just paid you more? Your employer just increased the amount of your paycheck, but tips weren't expected or, or requested at all. How would you feel about that, Caddy? Um, probably feel like, like it's not enough because um, the tips is what makes me put gas in the car to make me go work, go to work and from home to get to get my like to get more money for my check, and the tips are the ones that help me get gas. Got it. Got it. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, certainly those tips certainly can help out there with that bottom line. That's Catalina Kellywood up in uh, Four Corners area, New Mexico. Let's go back to Courtney now. And, and Courtney, you know, earlier you mentioned uh, the history of tipping, and it really sounds like it starts from from a very flawed premise dating back to, to the era around the Civil War. And um and you mentioned it's not a perfect system either. I mean, tipped employees are, are more likely to, to be in poverty and things like that. Uh, people of color negatively impacted as well, women as well. Uh, are there alternatives? I mean, is there a way to kind of fix this whole tip economy that uh, in some ways is is so dependent on, on these outlying factors that many times employees and, and businesses can't really control? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our tipping system is is pretty culturally entrenched right now, but we know that tipping is, at least the tipping as we experience it in the United States, is not needed to support small businesses because our tipping system is an anomaly internationally. Uh, it's not something that happens um, in other countries in the way we do it here. Uh, the cost of the business is just built into their prices. So we can look all over the world at small and medium-sized enterprises, uh, and they're thriving without this U.S. type and level of tipping. Um, and specifically for American Indian small businesses, I also find that tipping is a bit of a, a red herring. It, it distracts us from the actual support that our businesses need to be sustainably successful um, training, physical support, regulatory support, especially with those businesses that are uh, working with leases on reservation land, um, financial support for businesses located on trust lands. And obviously, they need money, especially in times of crisis. Uh, so when we went through the COVID pandemic, small businesses were told that PPP funds would help them out, um, but most of them never made it down to these small businesses. Most were pocketed by large corporations. So we do know that there are alternatives. We do know that alternatives work. Um, and we do see a movement amongst some small businesses uh, to do away with tipping altogether and just move to a living wage model. So we see that at the small business level. And of course, we've also seen that in cities like Seattle, uh, who have now reached their seven-year mark for their $15 um, minimum wage. Uh, so we have a lot of good studies on those as well. Interesting. Interesting indeed. 
Uh, we had one caller. They did not want to appear on the air, but here's what they said. I'm just going to read this again. This is uh, an opinion of a caller that we had for today's show. It goes like this. My daughter told me that Native Americans don't tip. I told her it's cultural. Uh, I want to bring uh, Kimberly Tilson Braveheart back into that conversation. And Kimberly, what's your response to that when you hear comments like Native people don't tip? Um, I want to say a couple of things before I respond. I want to be really clear that I am not a restaurant. I'm a private dining room and a catering company. My staff makes between $17.50 an hour to $30 almost an hour. And so, and they don't have consistent hourly shifts every week because I'm a catering company. And so the tips and the gratuity only add and help stabilize for their lack of having consistent hours all the time. So I think that will help people understanding my model is a little different where I am desperately trying to get a living wage for my staff. So I want to be really clear about that. Sure. that they're, my staff are not being paid $2.50 an hour. <laughs> okay. Um, because, I mean, it's insulting. Num- number two, I think that's ridiculous. Most of my clients, I would say I, my my customers are about 75 to 80% um, native. And I think that's what I'm saying. There's no pushback. People are like happy to support native business. They're happy to support native employees. They're happy to support native business. I've never really heard anyone, oh, native don't tip. Um, I think most of the native people I know are extremely generous when they have the funds to do it. And, you know, eating out is a luxury. It's not for everyone. And, you know, that is the reality is that I remember the very first restaurant I went to, I was like 13, maybe. (laughs) So, you know, I think that like understanding that having these experiences do cost money and they're at at the work of the people that are in, um, that are doing the work. And so I haven't found that. I found, you know, some people... And honestly, some very wealthy people who have tipped me a dollar on a very, very large uh, event, literally one dollar. <laughs> and honestly, I would rather just not be tipped <laughs> if it was a dollar because that that also feels offensive. Right. I mean, when it's when it's uh, like almost like a symbolically low tip. I mean, you can't help but kind of think that's an insult, right? For sure. Okay. Well, let's go back to Courtney. And Courtney, I understand you work with small businesses as well. And and what are you hearing uh, from the people that you work with that own small businesses, native businesses, restaurants, and, and other uh, businesses that employ service workers? And what how are they adapting right now in terms of some of these dynamics that are affecting uh, tipped workers? So a lot of the businesses that I primarily work with are in um, tourist areas. So it's a little a little bit different, I think, than kind of a, the mom-and-pop restaurant down the street in some ways, um, although they, they certainly have those too. But I think that um, kind of echoing what your other guests have said, during the pandemic, um, everything was shut down. Uh, when things started to open back up again, uh, tipping was a little bit less because people uh, weren't working, people were in financial straits. Um, now I'm seeing more of an increase in tipping. Uh, so we see people kind of getting back to pre-pandemic tipping levels. Um, also, as you mentioned before, the institution of various 
kind of um, apps and online technologies that prompt people to tip uh, have also increased tipping. Uh, so it seems like tipping has made a, a robust recovery uh, since um, the reopenings. Okay. I've got a question for our listeners. Uh, casino uh, at workers, what's an appropriate tip? Like if you, you get a winning hand at a blackjack table or, or you win a jackpot uh, at a slot machine, I know it's common practice to tip those people that make those payouts, but how much should you tip? Should it be a percentage of the jackpot, a, a flat amount? Anybody answer to that question, give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. we still got time. Again, 1-800-996-2848. How much should you tip a casino employee? Uh, let's go to the phones now. We have Marion listening on Albuquerque, excuse me, in Albuquerque, New Mexico on KUNM. Marion, you're on the line. Good morning. I want to make a quick comment. I can't believe that, that in the 70s they were getting $2 an hour. And now it's like 50 years later and they're only making 50 cents more. I think they should just add on to the price of the meal. And that way people will know that they're paying these people that work so hard a fair share. And that way, if I took my family, um, they won't say natives don't tip. I mean, it'll be just added into the price. And I know I've heard that before, even from my own family who had to work as uh, waitresses. And they said the same thing. And it's all economics. I mean, if... I'm not making what I should make because of prejudice, then how can I pay extra? And if I'm not even getting hired and I'm job hunting and we don't have a home and we have to go eat in a restaurant, I feel good just paying for the meal and I don't even worry about paying a tip, which is sad. But that's just the way the world is now. So I think they should just add it in, add it into the cost of the meal. And um, I feel very bad. You know, I I actually worked at a pizza hut um, and at a library when I was going to college to supplement my income. And... Um, Okay. That was very, very long time ago, All right. and I can't Marianne. believe the rules haven't changed, and that's it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much for that call, Marion. Uh, good insights there. We've got time for one more caller, Betty, listening on KNBA in Anchorage, Alaska. Betty, hello. Good morning. Uh, yes, uh, my family is Native, and uh, Native to Alaska, and uh, we do tip we, my two sons have worked in the service industry and restaurants, and um, I believe they depended on tips. I know when they were in college, they certainly did depend on tips. Um, and I also wanted to agree with the caller that said internationally, um, you know, tipping is not the norm. So, and I, I do appreciate that comment as well. So uh, it would be nice if everyone could earn a living wage. With uh, But I am glad to tip when I get excellent service. 
And especially during the pandemic, my husband and I would occasionally order out and we would always make sure that we gave a very good tip to help people. Thank you for this uh, program. Well, thank you, Betty, uh, for sharing your insights today on Native America Calling. And uh, Courtney, you know, what's interesting, you know, we're talking about some of these these types of jobs, and we can all agree, you know, restaurant workers, uh, servers, folks like that, cab drivers. But I've also heard of people who will tip like the family doctor or a dentist. Um, what's your thought on that? I mean, do do any of those folks deserve tips? Or even like school teachers, uh, do those folks deserve tips as well or something to think about? So we have a category, a legal category of, of what a tipped employee is. And then um, you have these kind of these side tippings, right? Uh, like a dentist and a doctor. Um, honestly, I feel like if you are in a position where you're setting um, a large wage for yourself, such as a doctor and a dentist, um, because you're setting that wage yourself, um, tipping is not something that should be asked for or expected. Um, also, we're seeing we're seeing kind of strange expressions of tipping. Um, I'll give you an example here in Durham. There's a uh, little place called Rise where people get biscuits, and uh, they install self-service kiosks, so no human action interaction at all. Uh, and at the kiosk, you are prompted for a 25% tip for um, basically putting this in yourself and getting your sandwich yourself and the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, thinking about is this a situation where someone is setting their own salary? Um, is this a situation where you're receiving personal service or, in the case of the hotels, uh, sustained service? Uh, and those are really the places to tip. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, this has been a, a really, really interesting conversation. We are going to have to wrap up the show, unfortunately. But before we do, I'd like to thank our guest today, Chef Kimberly Tilson Braveheart, Professor Courtney Lewis, Lynette Hins, and Catalina Kellywood for keeping it real in a conversation about tipping culture and the service industry. Join us tomorrow for a discussion featuring Indigenous representation and talent at this year's Sundance Film Festival. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening. As people seek to know diverse cultures, tribal museums and cultural centers grow more popular. So the Institute of American Indian Arts, who support this show, now provides a Master of Fine Arts in Cultural Administration. Focused on social equity and support of cultural community growth, this program combines administrative tools and techniques with socially engaged leadership, blending institutional skills and community outreach programming. Deadline to apply is February 15 at iaia.edu slash mfaca. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico, 
by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.